0: But Oklahoma has gotten off the schneid, so to speak, broke the two-game losing streak, picked up their first win in Big 12 play by a final score of 53 to 45 over the Texas Longhorns. A game that, if you if you listen to our our podcast last week on Thursday night where we uh, broke this game down, I predicted Oklahoma to lose 38 to 35. Rich, I can't remember what your score was, but Rich predicted Oklahoma to win this game, 35
1: that, to 31.
0: And I don't. I don't get to say this very often, um, and I don't mind saying it right now, but Richard was right, and I was wrong, and I'm ecstatic to have been wrong about this.
1: And Matt, we have that on record now, so I'm just going to cut that little segment out, and I'm going to play it on loop for a week, making me feel good about myself.
0: Only a week?
1: Yeah. That's all I'm going to need. I'll be <laughs> right again next week too. So it is,
0: it is I'll forever. Get a second one. It is forever saved in the archives of iTunes or our Apple podcasts or whatever it is nowadays. Um, this is the sooner nation podcast, by the way, he's rich. I'm Matt. Let's, uh, like, Oh, there's so much. I, I don't, I mean, we we've got an hour to, um, we've got an hour to break everything down. Um, and we usually don't get it all done in an hour anyway, but, um, let's start i think we have to start with tj pledger for me on the offensive side of the ball tj is a story here we, we said thursday night um oklahoma has to run the ball we also said that or at least i said that running the ball against texas is something that we've seen happen in big 12 play we you know texas tech only had a hundred and something rushing yards but tcu really cut them up on the ground and then we saw tj pledger and company do that when i say in company because I, I got I to give a hat tip to Marcus Major, um, particularly his touchdown run. Th- there was a different version of Marcus Major than what we saw against Missouri State. He looked a little bit more explosive, um, a little bit more aware of, of the offense and, and what he was doing. Um, and the offensive line, after a shaky start, the offensive line knuckled down, particularly in that third quarter where the Sooners just basically steamrolled Texas. But, you know, thoughts on T.J. Pledger, 131 yards in on 22 carries, two touchdowns, Rich.
1: TJ Pledger was definitely a welcomed sight to see the, the production more so. Because one of the concerns, Matt, that we had going into this game without Seth McGowan was who was really going to step up to the challenge, who was really going to be a reliable source on the ground of, of yardage. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know not that the game is in the past, that TJ Pledger has answered that bell. Of course, you've mentioned Marcus Major in there in that conversation as a guy who did have an impact on the game and I had asked previously but on, on Thursday where was Marcus Major what was the situation what was going on with him so two very welcome to from this running game but I think a lot of it's going to center for me around the the offensive line and how well the offensive line actually played in this game now they didn't play a perfect game don't get me wrong right. but I think we're starting to see this group gel together they're starting to mesh and and they're starting to build towards that height they're starting to build towards that expectation that we expected from them at the beginning of the season you got to remember this was a group that turned quite a bit of experience and then you had some some all big 12 preseason selections there now that left left side of the line has been a little bit of a mystery but I thought Marquise Hayes at the end of the year had an opportunity to be that third offensive linemen who joined the other two of Adrian Ely and, and Creed Humphrey of all big 12 players specifically along that line, just because there's that type of talent hadn't lived up to that at this point for me, but now we're, we're beginning to see a little bit of that development. We're beginning to see Bill uh, uh really coach these guys up and bring them to a level that we've expected them to play at all season long.
0: Yeah. You know, and it was a kind of a shaky start for everybody. i uh, uh, on the offensive yeah, side. Yeah, of, I agree. On the offensive side. You know, you got Spencer yeah, Rattler. That, that first drive that, was atrocious. Well, the very first snap was atrocious, where it kind of goes through <laughs> Rattler. And, I mean, Oklahoma's lucky that they averted disaster right there from, from the get-go. Um, and I think it's it's really one of those moments where across the board for the offense, when you look at the youth of this team, it, even though the, the, the crowd was at one-fourth of the capacity, it was still... You could tell that was that moment was bigger than these young players and and the way they got started off and 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 we we're, we'll talk about the defensive side of the ball here in a minute but to me the early the biggest play was that fumble recovery by the defense on on the Longhorns first drive because you have what you said and what I said was an atrocious three and out for Oklahoma's defense or for Oklahoma's offense to start this game and then the defense just goes back and, and gets the ball back. And that was, that was the momentum shift that Oklahoma needed. I don't know mm-hmm. how this game would have turned out if Texas had taken that, their opening drive and scored even a field goal off of it. Um, but I do know that the defense forcing that turnover really helped the offense kind of calm down just a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit, and a little bit was enough in that situation. I, I've got, when we, I, I, I still have mixed thoughts on, on Marcus Major, I want to give him all the credit in the world for for what he did. And, and, you know, the touchdown run was was a great run, Um, first of his career. and, And so I'm happy for him. But I still think that he takes a back seat behind Pledger and McGowan. And, you know, they're off this coming weekend, and then they go to Fort Worth. And my understanding is that McGowan's in a concussion protocol. And so, you know, it's two weeks before they play another game which you would expect him to return by then, which means I think we go back to seeing Marcus major in an extremely limited role.
1: And that's very possible. Um, Matt, I, I really don't know when we're dealing with the hypotheticals where to go with that, because again, we're not involved in practices. We don't see that progression. We don't really even have an answer As to why Marcus Major, he's attributed to playing in the second game, but not in the third at all. And in fact, didn't even record any stats in the the conference opener for the Oklahoma Mm -hmm. Sooners. This was that first game where we saw him contribute in any way, shape, or form. Moving forward, I do have to agree with you, though. What we've seen so far does look as though Seth McGowan and TJ Pledger are going to split the the shares in the backfield. They're going to split those carries and it doesn't leave much room for anyone else as a ball carrier. Now, Oklahoma, I do expect them to get creative under Lincoln Riley. You know, they've used Charleston Rambo coming off, um, whether it is a reverse or whether it's a jet sweep. They've used him in a couple of different ways where he becomes a ball carrier. And again, it's only taking <laughs> taking more snaps away from a guy like a Marcus Major. And it's taking away that opportunity for him to prove himself. I did want to hit on one quick thing because you talk about that that turnover from the the Oklahoma defense. Man, th- and we'll get to the defense as you mentioned here in a second, but I thought Oklahoma was going to turn Texas over twice on two plays. Yeah. On two two consecutive plays from that Texas offense, I like the way that Oklahoma came out aggressive, though, and and that's really across the board. Now they shot themselves in the foot on that first drive, but you do have to look at what Oklahoma was doing game plan wise and saying they knew that if they were going to beat this Texas team, who also was coming off of a loss, Oklahoma coming off those two consecutive ones, something was going to have to change, and the play calling was 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 quite aggressive there for me which i enjoyed
0: yeah and and uh you're talking about offensive play calling or defensive yeah play I'm, calling? Calling?
1: I'm talking about on both sides of
0: yeah that. i mean now, I, now
1: there's a switch that happens during the game but we'll we'll get there
0: well and i think that switch was was absolutely necessary because i i really feel we'll get into play calling as well but i i do think that um i i do think that one of the biggest factors that happened in this game and rightfully so everyone's talking about Spencer Rattler second half, as opposed to Spencer Rattler first half, I think Lincoln Riley's figuring out what he can do with Spencer Rattler, you know, and, and maybe, maybe he was trying to do too much with Spencer Rattler through those first two and a half games of conference play. And, and so we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll, and we'll get into that more um, I do want to go back to the offensive line though, real quick, because I, again, I saw that switch in the second half, particularly in the third quarter where they just said, okay, guys, it's time to earn your hype. We're going to, we're just going to, we you're going to bulldozer and we're going to run behind you. Mm-hmm. And, and that really, that set the tone. But again, we saw them move away from that a little bit into the fourth quarter, um, not a whole lot, but just at times where you just kind of scratch your head and go, "Why? <laughs> you know, why? Why that play?" Um, but I still think this offensive line—they they, made—they made progress. But I, I still think there's there's work to be done on pass protection. Now Rattler was only sacked once, but still, I I, I see things where he was rushed, where he was hurried, where he had to move the pocket, um, and, and the, they're not designed that way. But it's because someone got beat on the offensive line.
1: Right, and that's what really I was alluding to there at the beginning is there is room for improvement. And it's not just the offensive line. As a group offensively, there's room for improvement. The offensive line I thought played exceptionally well, though, because you had your first 100-yard rusher of the season in a single game. As we mentioned, everybody should know at this point, that is T.J. Pledger. I didn't know that that was ever going to happen as much as this offense, as much as Lincoln Riley was leaning on the abilities, the arms specifically of Spencer Rattler. I don't know if that came down to a trust issue. I don't know if that came down to we just haven't seen it in a practice yet. We haven't seen that dominance where we feel comfortable in, in a situation where we can run effectively and essentially win a game. It, it mm. does feel as though Oklahoma may be leaning more into that. And one of the things that I've been watching pretty consistently and have made mention of was the the lack of big plays. Oklahoma still has not had any big plays since they played Missouri State. They're all plays that are up roughly less than 25 yards. I mean, we're hitting that that 20-yard mark fairly occasionally, but nothing past that 25. There, there aren't the – Speedsters getting behind the defense and cracking this thing wide open and scoring in in three plays or scoring in four plays. There's sustained drives. There there are drives that seem a little bit unfamiliar (laughs) for an Oklahoma team, especially with a quarterback the caliber of a guy like a Spencer Rattler. But needless to say, you've alluded to the youngness of this team, and that's a huge contributing factor. So one, Matt, and you and I have talked about this one of the things that we we've consistently said was this team has to be balanced on offense. And I think this is the first time against this Texas team that we did see more of a 50, 50 split. Your question was about the offensive line. So I apologize for taking that little tangent there, but when it comes to the offensive line, you are right. They they've got to do better in pass protect. And that's been one of the struggles of this team. Um, But when Oklahoma has relied on it so heavily you would have expected it to be the the dominant suit. Whereas they seem to have completely abandoned the run game at times.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to disagree with you. Like I did the, the other night on the, on the big plays, because I feel like the big plays are there. Um, uh, against Iowa State they just they were dropped passes and then you go back to this game and think about the the Marvin Mims touchdown um yeah I think it was Rattler's second touchdown uh of the game and that that was a big play um Drake Stoops to to for the game go ahead in the fourth overtime that that was a big play I I think Oklahoma had at least four plays that went longer than 20 yards. And, and you're right. The, the, the big chunk plays of a 70, you know, 50 yards. I, we're not seeing those, but man, if you, if you're getting a play over 20 yards, to me, that's, that's a big play. And, and I think we saw that at least four times and, and, and and then again, the think about the overtime touchdown to Austin Stogner. Now, yardage wise, that wasn't a, a big play in terms of yardage. But when you think about the struggles that Spencer Rattler had earlier in the game, and then to make that throw on a dime into coverage where only Stogner can get it, pretty dang big play. But but again, the, the, we're going to miss some big plays. So let, let's talk about Austin Stogner and when they in regulation when Oklahoma went for it on, on third down and they they I mean Joe Klatt just stuck with this forever and and I totally disagree with Joe Klatt and I'm on the side of Lincoln Riley here Spencer Rattler put that ball where it needed to be caught and Austin Stogner didn't catch it and Austin Stogner, you're
1: you're talking about the 39
0: right Yeah and if Austin Stogner makes that catch it's game over so I see what you and I talked about this Rich about how this team needs to learn to win games right That that Mm -hmm. losing comes natural. You don't have, no one has to teach you to lose, but you have to learn to win. And that's what I'm talking about. If Austin Stogner, the only thing that's wrong with that play is that Austin Stogner doesn't catch it. The protection was there. The route was there. The throw was there. The only thing wrong with it was Austin Stogner did not catch it. And if Austin Stogner does catch that, it's game over. We, we don't have four overtimes. And so I get it. You know, everybody can go back and say, well, that was a terrible call after the fact. But you know what? Here, here's the truth of the matter. If Austin Stogner does catch that, it's a huge play and the game's over and everyone's lauding the genius of Lincoln Riley to go for it and just stomp the throat of Texas it didn't work out, but it could have been a big play. And it, it goes back to what I'm saying is the big play potential has been there. The passes are just being dropped. And, and that's, what, that's what it comes down to, in my opinion.
1: Well, And the flip side of your argument here, Matt, on that third and nine, is that you look at what Texas had done previously this season, specifically against Texas Tech, where they utilized a very small window of time in which to score two touchdowns and force once again a game into overtime, a game that that honestly I don't believe Texas Tech had any business being in, much less leading by two touchdowns. When we see what's happened and we see the drives that have been orchestrated by Sam Ellinger, there was this thought that if Oklahoma (laughs) runs the ball, then, of course, you take off, I don't know, roughly 40, maybe 50 seconds between the time that that play ends to the ball being set to you actually snapping it and punting it away the real egregious error here comes from from Big 12 officiating right right now that game could have been completely different on numerous different planes if we begin to look at sure the completed 3rd and 9 pass to Austin Sogner changes the game you run the ball It begins to wind down that clock. It could potentially change the game. But given the time, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, the way that Oklahoma went into a prevent defense, I know we're not talking about the defense here, Matt. We're talking about play calling. But the way that Oklahoma went into this prevent defense where they're rushing three and they're dropping eight, Texas Tech did the exact same thing. And we saw how that ended for Texas Tech. So it had shades of a comeback. For Texas, everything was setting up exactly how they designed it. They went into a two-minute offense, drove down the field, hit these chunk yardage plays, and ended up in the end zone forcing forcing overtime. Had Oklahoma not passed the ball on that third down, even without the 40 or 50 seconds, it's hard for me to say this Oklahoma defense, given the, the schematics they were playing on that last drive, it's hard for me to say that they would have actually stopped Sam Ellinger and that Texas offense from getting in the end zone.
0: Which is why you should pass the ball and end the game.
1: I agree. <laughs> I, I say all that to say that I, I'm on the side of Lincoln Riley myself. I, I like the play calling. I like, again, I mentioned that this was a game in which I felt as Oklahoma was being aggressive with their play calling. And I thought they went aggressive there, which was their, their MO for the entire afternoon. Mm-hmm. Why would you switch it up? Why would you change something when it was working for you previously?
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, and and I, I just I want to mention one more thing about T.J. Pledger because I have been I've been super high on Seth McGowan. Obviously, T.J. Pledger earns the start um, before the Missouri State game, and then is out because of uh, contact tracing due to COVID. But then comes back against Kansas State. Comes back, you know, Iowa State. I've been saying all along that um, that I, I felt as if McGowan was the better of the two backs and he still may be, but I, look, Pledger definitely established himself as the the starting running back. And, and you, you can at least see why, why they, I mean, he, he, he had the fumble, which, you know, McGowan has a fumble as well. Um, you, you can, but you can see what, I saw for the first time really what the coaching staff sees in Pledger. And this is a game where you got to give him a little bit extra credit for him because there were, I mean, there really weren't any other options. You know, Marcus Major, we've talked about is the number three guy on this depth chart. You're without McGowan. If Pledger doesn't produce, then Oklahoma doesn't have a chance in this game. And so this was the biggest moment of his career as an Oklahoma running back. And he totally, Totally lived up to the moment. I, I don't know that I'm going to shy away from Seth McGowan just because I see the potential there, but man, I I sure was happy with what I saw in TJ Pledger, and I think uh, TCU. I think you see McGowan come back and that you see them share that load again. But man, you you got to give TJ Pledger all the credit in the world for his performance,
1: and it was nice to have some experience. There in the backfield, a guy who's not first time in this scenario, first time in this environment. Granted, it wasn't full capacity, Mm -hmm. but you enter that rivalry and you have to lean on that experience. Otherwise, I do believe the potential for mistakes increases pretty significantly. Here's what I want to know when we begin to look at this running back room. Oklahoma's played four games this season, Matt. You know what that means with the week off, there's opportunity for the guys who have been serving suspension to Mm -hmm. kind of find their way barring any kind of um, exterior situations that are, that may or may not exist at this point in time. You've got three guys who are coming off of suspension, specifically on the offensive side. You're looking at Trajan Bridges and, and Ramondre Stevenson within this running back room. How does Ramondre Stevenson now fit in or does he fit in or is he a guy who you put in the doghouse? And this is just an opinion that I want from you. Is he a guy you put in the doghouse and and make him work for every single carry that he may again or may not get this season?
0: Well, I said all along from the time that they got suspended that when they come back, all of these guys have to earn their way back on the field. You're just not going to. Pull a guy out. Oh, you know, Seth, you've been awesome this year. But since uh since Ramondre's back, we're just gonna set you back, you know, back a spot. No, Ramondre has to earn his spot. The the thing is, is that you know, with an absence of Kennedy Brooks and absence of, of Trey Sermon, there's less ground to make up now in this running back room. So I fully expect Ramondre to be back in this backfield. And I think it gives I I, see, I'm hesitant to say this because I I don't want to just dogpile on Marcus major because I want to, I want to emphasize he had a good game and his touchdown run was, was a solid run. He read the blocks. He did, he made a move. He showed some shiftiness, but I, I think the return of Ramondre Stevenson gives Lincoln Riley three solid options at running back. And I don't, I'm not convinced he has that right now.
1: And that's a very fair point. It's very valid point. Ramondre Stevenson was and is always going to be the biggest back, the biggest running back in the room. It's hard not to utilize the talent. It's hard not to utilize that size, the ability to absorb hits, especially late in the game when Oklahoma <laughs> has needed it on several occasions. This season, I like what Ramondre Stevenson brings to the table, but I'm not convinced that he's an absolute need or must on the field for every single game. And I mean, I do believe that he's a guy who is going to have to work his way back into this equation. He's a guy who's going to have to prove that he hasn't just been sitting there twiddling his thumbs while everybody else has been in the weight room and working out and, and competing for the the playing time.
0: Well, again, I'm gonna disagree with you. Um, I think they absolutely need a guy of his experience and and, and his caliber. And again, I, I caught some I caught some heat um going back to the summer of 20, 2019 when I was talking about Ramondre and and I brought up the fact that he runs with Joe Mixon's shiftiness and speed, but also Samaj Ryan's power. I I think I've you look at him last year, I was pretty accurate with that depiction of him. And I, I think he will be by the time Oklahoma hits the end of the season, I think he'll be Oklahoma's top back. And I think they need him to be Oklahoma's top back because it, it, it again, that change of pace to just lean on a defense and to wear on a defense. Ramon J gives you the best option to do that. Well, we saw, Oklahoma do for a quarter against Texas in that third quarter with the running attack. Adding Ramondre Stevenson into the mix here allows you to begin that process way earlier than the third quarter. And I, I think he's an absolute must for this offense to be successful. Even more so than what they've been successful wise. And that's, that's one person's opinion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not convinced though, Matt, I, I see the potential. I see what adding him to that running back room does. I see how it gives Oklahoma a, a hand up in a lot of situations, especially those late game situations. But to say that he's an absolute must more. So what I'm referencing is in, in, the immediate future, I don't see him as an absolute must. Now, when we start talking about teams like Oklahoma state, that Oklahoma will pair up with later in this season, that's going to bring the, in my opinion, the best, defense in the league they're going to bring that to the table then you've got to get creative you've got to find ways to wear them down you've got to find ways to make them cheat up towards that line of scrimmage so that you can start completing passes with a younger quarterback even if that's throwing out towards the edges to a guy like a stevenson you have to rely on these running backs and for the immediate future i don't know that that Ramondre stevenson is an absolute must I know that you're going to disagree with me, but with the two weeks off, we've got a little bit. I say two weeks off, the one weekend off before Oklahoma plays TCU. There's some time to figure out that situation. There's some time to sort through some of these equations, to do some hypotheticals, and, and to offer up some opinions.
0: Well, one of us is riding the cuckoo train here, and I don't think it's me. Um, You can hit us up on Twitter uh, at at sports Heartland on Twitter and let us know if you're uh, if you're in the boat with Rich or Ramondre Stevens, not is not a must have right now. um, Or you're in in the boat with me. And uh, I think the Sooners absolutely need him. Um, Here's what it comes down to Rich. And we've talked about this. I've been saying this since Kansas state, you run the ball, you win the game. And we, we, we didn't really see a focus emphasis on running the ball against Kansas State. We didn't see a focus emphasis on running the ball against Iowa State, but we definitely saw it against Texas. Oh, and they won. So I hope, well, I hope we see this moving forward uh, for the remaining six games of the season. I do too. And one of, when we look over the past um, three
1: years now, we can even look at the past five years, the, the, the full, term that Lincoln Riley has been on campus with the Oklahoma Sooners and directing this offense. Oklahoma has led the big 12 in rushing yards per game. They are far, far behind that the, the numbers that they've posted in previous seasons on the ground. It was nice to see a little bit of a return to that. It was extremely nice to see this Oklahoma group push for the 200 yards of offense on the ground. I didn't know when we would expect to see that. I, I would have thought it would have come much earlier than the fourth game of the season. I thought more specifically, we would have had that against Missouri state, but again, wasn't needed with was something where you really are getting, getting guys in to get experience and to begin to, to shape and mold them in an in game situation. However, Oklahoma without Kennedy Brooks, without Trey Sermon and without Ramondre Stevenson, you knew was going to take a step back. I just didn't think it would be as far of a step as it actually
0: was. All right. All this talk. And we haven't even mentioned Spencer Rattler. So we're going to need to get. Okay, Rich, let's talk about Spencer. Um, First half, eight of 13 for 68 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Well, Technically it was a fumble, but still uh, it was came out of his hand. and was caught in the air. Um, also negative six yards. Rushing second half Spencer was 15 to 22 for 192 yards, three touchdowns, zero turnovers, 47 yards rushing. One of the knocks against Lincoln Riley. And it, it's hard to, it's really hard to get some knocks in against, against a guy Lincoln, Riley, Like Lincoln Riley, who's accomplished all that he's accomplished in such a short time. But, one of the knocks that people have come up with is that can he develop quarterbacks, which I think is just the, the height of stupidity uh, because did we not see Baker develop? Did we not see a different Kyler Murray at Oklahoma than what we saw at Texas A&M? Did we not see a different Jalen hurts at Oklahoma than what we saw at Texas A&M? But the thing is, does Lincoln Riley, can he really take, you know, this is his first time to take a young quarterback and you know, and he's no, not—he's he's not—he's he's, not—you um, know—he's not one of his guys, right? Uh, not one of his transfers. Well, you know what the big difference was between first half Spencer and second half Spencer—it was Lincoln Riley. I think Lincoln Riley proved on Saturday he absolutely knows what he's doing with these quarterbacks, and there's not a coach or a person on the planet when it comes to football who knows Spencer Rattler better than Lincoln Riley. And the, the decision to pull Spencer Rattler, everybody thought at first it was an injury. Then, you know, Lincoln Riley said at halftime, Spencer needed to sit for a minute. He needed to collect himself. And it was a bold move. And you got to give a ton of credit to Tanner Mordecai for not coming in there and just throwing up on the field, but actually being productive as the, as the backup quarterback put in an incredibly tough situation. But again, it shows how much Lincoln Riley knows his quarterbacks to have the confidence in Tanner Mordecai to do that. But man, it it not only did it turn Spencer Rattler around, it turned this this entire game around because we saw the quarterback of the future that everyone expects Spencer Rattler to be and the way he took control of this game in the second half and then the four overtimes.
1: The first thing I'm going to mention here, Matt, is if Lincoln Riley does not know how to develop quarterbacks, then he's got the entire world fooled.
0: Not the entire world because there's a lot of people out there who are saying if he can't get a transfer quarterback, he can't do these things. And I get it. Baker was a transfer. Kyler was a transfer. Jalen was a transfer. But, but again, it's such a dumb argument because all three of those guys were much better when they left OU. than if, if You think if Ala, if, if Jalen Hurts stays at Alabama, is he on he the field for Philadelphia? The- is he, is he doing that, though? Is he on the field for Philadelphia if he stays at Alabama? I don't think he is. I don't,
1: I don't think so either.
0: And and if Kyler Murray stays at A&M, is he a number one overall draft pick? If Lincoln Riley doesn't so. come to Oklahoma, is Baker Mayfield a number one overall draft pick? So this idea that they transfer in, and they were this great quarterbacks when they got to OU – It's such a foolish notion that really, whether you're a talking head on national TV or whether you're just guys like you and I who have a blog and a podcast, if if you take that line of thinking, you're showing a lot of true ignorance. But all that said, let's go back to Spencer Radler.
1: Yeah, it's very unfortunate. I'm going to take the tangent with you here for just a quick moment. It's very unfortunate because when you have these young freshman quarterbacks Step onto the field in a starting role. A lot of people expect Trevor Lawrence, who plays for a great team and has great tools all around him. There's experience there when he stepped on as a freshman. Granted, he was supplanting a senior at Clemson, but he stepped in and was productive again because it was an established offense. It was an established identity, and he simply filled a role for them. As a freshman, you look at guys like Johnny Manziel, who stepped in as a freshman at Texas A&M. And because of the athleticism, because of the, the mobility that you saw out of him as a quarterback, he was changing the way we really perceived that position. Now you've got a guy like Spencer Rattler, also a freshman, a young guy stepping into a system that I don't believe has an identity. I don't believe they've established themselves and they definitely don't have the experience to um, erase a lot of the mistakes that would be made from a young quarterback and said we just get to see it on full display but when it comes to Spencer Rattler when it comes to to coaching that if Lincoln Riley does not know how to develop quarterbacks then like I said he's got the entire world fooled. because in consecutive recruiting classes now I get that they didn't have a quarterback when Jalen Hurts came in, in that class, but you have number one, Spencer Rattler, you skip a year. I, I guess you get Chandler Morris. Excuse right. me. I forgot. Yeah, I, was forgot the to, name. I was
0: about to reach through the internet and punch you in the face.
1: I know. And then, and then of course you bring in another number one quarterback. That's where I'm saying he's got the entire world fooled. When you look at Spencer Rattler and what he was doing. Um, I think that's a tough call to make for Lincoln Riley, because you look at, you look at the talent, that exist in one singular individual. And you quickly recognize this is our our best option. And this is our best chance of winning is by keeping Rattler on the field. When you remove him, you remove a lot of the qualities and hope that a guy who may not have expected to play to, to, to produce, as you mentioned, thankfully Tanner Mordecai does that. He appeared extremely ready was making some difficult throws and was actually connecting with receivers to keep Oklahoma in this game, instead of it being more of a, a a white flag or a sign of defeat. Mm -hmm. You get the coaching, you get the encouragement, you get the, let's calm him down. You also get the wake up call factor of it all of saying, Hey, look, you know, we, we trust you as a quarterback, but you've also got to produce, with that trust. And when all of a sudden that, that production, when all of a sudden those turnovers start creeping up there, Oklahoma, I I see it twofold. One it's, it's the sign that yes, Spencer Rattler is a starter. I don't think that his job is in trouble, but it's saying, Hey, look, we're not afraid to make some changes if we deem it absolutely necessary. But the second thing is it takes a lot of that pressure off of Spencer Rattler and allows him to know, look, if, if I'm just having uh, a turd of a game and, and I'm laying an egg out there, there are guys who can who can step in and compete and will compete for that starting job behind me. That wasn't really point number two, but I'm going to roll with it for this point in time because what I'm looking at is, again, the development of a quarterback and the ability or the, the trust in those guys who are playing behind Spencer Rattler to come in and give a little bit of relief when it is needed. And that's that's, that's pretty rare.
0: Tanner Mordecai, five of seven for 52 yards. And, and again, I think that goes back to what we're talking about with Lincoln Riley. You got to have a lot of confidence in your backup quarterback. Cause it's not like the game was in doubt. I mean, th- this was still very much a game that Oklahoma had a chance to either win or to lose. And, um, and so to, to put your backup guy in there and then to have him perform efficiently the way he did five of seven, it goes back to what Lincoln Riley has and what he knows about these quarterbacks. Um, you know, and you, you mentioned something about development and, and so forth. Uh, yeah. I want to look at this receiving core. Austin Stogner had a pretty big day. He caught, you know, you got the touchdown that, that he caught in the overtime was just, I give Spencer Rattler a lot of credit for that throw. But again, Austin Stogner has to make that catch and he did, but you also saw him with two really big drops. A guy who I felt like redeemed himself a little bit because I've been a little bit harsh on him was Theo Weiss, who led the team. I knew
1: you were going there. I knew it.
0: (laughs) He led the team with eight catches and I I was harsh on him for that Iowa State game. Um, But eight catches and then you got the... The two point conversion, uh, which was a, again a, a great throw by Rattler, but it has to be thought, it has to be caught, and and a lot of people think that you know just because a quarterback makes a great throw, that means it's an easy catch. That is not the case. A lot of times, when a quarterback makes a great throw, it's a difficult catch. That's what makes it a great throw, uh, because it puts it in a place where a receiver, and not only that receiver, can get it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Two two different examples here. You look at the touchdown to Marvin Mims, great throw, fairly simple catch. So it's a good throw. You look at the touchdown to Drake Stoops, great throw, fairly simple catch. The receivers are wide open. Then you look at the touchdown to Austin Stogner. You look at the two point conversion to, uh, to Weiss, and those are not easy catches, still great throws, but they've got to be caught. And that's exactly what happened there. Um, so Weiss was a team high eight catches. Um, you know Marvin Mims still seems to be to me one of the most talented guys, if not the most talented receiver Oklahoma's putting on the field. You know, I question a lot of times like, where's Theo Howard? Why, why is he not why I expected him to be? But it, it brings to to uh, brings about this whole thing is. Who is the go-to guy? Who is Oklahoma's top receiver when you look at this, this class? And it's still a young class, and it's a developing class, and it's a class that I think you're going to involve Trajan Bridges here pretty quick, and Jaden Hazelwood, I think, is going to get back in the mix here. But I'm, I'm going to throw this question out at you. It's it's third and nine. Game's on the line. you got to make a throw. Who do you want Rattler to target?
1: At what we've seen so far through four games, I have to go with Austin Stogner. You look at the, the chemistry that these two guys have, and it's chemistry that they've been building since the high school level, playing seven-on-seven seven down in, in and around Texas. I know that Rattler's from Arizona, but it doesn't mean he wasn't traveling to play with a couple of other guys that were committed to the University of Oklahoma. Stogner has been the biggest target. He's made himself available more often than not. Now, if we're talking about verticality, he's not going to bring that to the table. That's just, it's not what a tight end typically does. Uh You're looking more at a Marvin Mims. You're looking more at a Charleston Rambo for that verticality, for that vertical passing game, excuse me. So if if it's third and nine and I want the ball to go in any general direction, it has to go towards Stogner. (laughs) I think we saw a little bit of that because on that, I I believe it was the exact same play, Matt, is there is an open receiver. Now I, I could be mixing it up. It may not be that third and nine, but I do know there was an incomplete pass to Austin Stogner where there was an open, an open receiver on the left side of the field that, just doesn't, doesn't even really get a, a heavy consideration or look, and maybe the progression had already moved past him. Needless to say, to answer that question pretty bluntly, it, it has to be Austin Stogner. Now, I think that equation changes if Jaden Hazelwood is available. If he doesn't suffer that injury, he may be that, that best target. You look at what he brought in talent-wise – You look at what he brings in size wise and you look at the versatility, the way that Oklahoma likes to use guys like a Jeremiah Hall. I think Jaden Hazelwood brings it, but at the receiver position, because they can literally line him up anywhere and have him run any various route in order to get him open. Again, a big target, but he's not part of the conversation right now as much as I really want him to be. So I'm putting all my cards on the table. I'm going all in with with Austin Stogner.
0: Yeah. And I think I agree with you. Um, I, I, and I've said this, I, I feel like Austin Stogner can be to Spencer Rattler um, what um, Andrews was to, to Baker Mayfield, but um, I still think there's Austin is going to have to learn. And, and we saw this from Mark Andrews. The, the truth is we saw this from Mark Andrews young in his career, Mark Andrews dropped passes that he should have caught. I mean, we, we remember Mark Andrews as a junior where he was dominant, But we forget Mark Andrews as a freshman and a sophomore when there were times where guys should just caught the passes, and and he didn't. Um, I think Stogner will develop into that pass-catching H-back slash tight end because he's going to be a tight end in the NFL. Um, And we saw flashes of that in a big way last Saturday against Texas, but we also saw the the young um, inexperience, if you will, of, of dropping those contested passes on the, the third and nine and then in, 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 in the overtime. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think I think it's Austin Stogner at this point. And I think I, I'm going to throw this out and just see what if it sticks and, and what your thoughts are. And we kind of wrap up our conversation on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I feel like we saw enough from this offense when we, we keep using the, the potential word but I think we saw enough from this offense in the terms of the offensive line starting to figure things out the running game starting to get figured out the receivers growing up a little bit Spencer Rattler kind of getting his head on his shoulders right. I think we saw enough from this offense to to me. My as as you get ready for TCU, my primary concern that I want this team to work on during this bye week is going to be the penalties and the turnovers. I fix those, and I think this team legitimately has a chance to do some some good things throughout the re- remainder of the season. Yeah, well, those are,
1: and in my opinion, the two biggest concerns, the two biggest things that Oklahoma must addressed throughout the remainder of conference play, especially when you get to teams that are, are defensively sound like a TCU. I've mentioned Oklahoma State as being the best defensive team in the conference this year, but I have one, one just quick question that I want to throw out there to you, Matt. When we look at the game against Texas, when we see how that played out, yes, we know it ended in four overtimes, but the way that it was shaping up there must have been a moment where you said Oklahoma is going to lose this game. What was that for you?
0: Oh, there was, there was multiple moments when, when I said that, um, there, I I mean, I'm going to say when when Texas tied it in the fourth quarter, you're like, we're going to lose, uh, you go into overtime and and Texas scores first, well, you know, we're going to lose, uh, you block the field goal. And then, and then, um, and then, you know, Gabe Berkich misses, misses a chip shot what should have been a chip shot field goal for him you think we're gonna lose and so (laughs) and and let's talk about that real fast because we haven't brought that up Uh, i think we we agree that the the play call on nine. you and i at least in our opinion i like that play call that's that was the way to go you know we talk about stomping the throat and and learning how to win kicking the field goal on second down i don't know that i'm on board with that um but i get it i get it because you know, you're Lincoln Riley, you got a young team, you know, you, you look at so many things that could have gone wrong on, on a second down play to get you to third down. You know, you could have fumbled, you could have anyway. Who, who knows with this, with this young team, truth, truly. I mean, you can line these guys up and one of the linemen jumps, you know, false start and all of a sudden you're back, you know, you're back five yards. One, So you could have had a holding penalty. You're back 10 yards. You could have fumbled. I mean, we, we saw all of this happen. And none of that's outside the realm of possibility. And you've got a guy like Gabe Berkowitz who has been Mr. Automatic. Automatic. So you, I, I get it. I, I totally get the decision. Doesn't mean I agree with it. I, I still say you run one more play, um, maybe get a little bit closer. I, I, don't, I don't know if it would have mattered, but, um, but that's the one play. If I, if, I, if I can go back and say, hey, Lincoln, um, I disagreed with you. This call in that game, that's going to be it for me.
1: it it had an inkling Matt they play the the Dr. Pepper commercial quite frequently and the one thing that you see uh, yes. oh he's automatic needless to say they miss the kick state misses the kick in that commercial and of course everyone's pointing at the guy they blame the guy saying you just said right ended up locking him in the car I'm like somewhere in this in the world we, we needed to be locking someone in a car because they almost they almost lost that game for us. Here's what when, – when I look at this game, it was really um, in Oklahoma's inability to create any kind of an offense in that fourth quarter after Texas scores and is now down by seven. That's the point where I knew Oklahoma was going to lose this game because you look at the way the previous two weeks had gone. We have already mentioned that the inability – or the lack of knowledge of how to win Mm -hmm. games exists for this team. They began to turn that corner for me because I, I fully expected Oklahoma to lose that game. I figured Texas would play for overtime given what they did against Texas tech. And then they would come in and they would utilize that same offense. Now there was a lot at play Texas, not using their, their two minute offense, which Oklahoma clearly struggled with going back to their base offense, which Oklahoma was, was pretty, pretty excellent against at times throughout the game. When all of that began to shift, there was a, a little bit of hope for me, but I was 100% certain with certain Oklahoma was going to lose it after Texas scored that first touchdown in the fourth quarter.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, there were so many moments we're going to win. We're going to lose. We're going to win. We're going to lose. It, it surely <laughs> was. And, and I I've been around longer than you have. And so I've seen more OU Texas games than you have, but even for me, um, probably the the most epic OU Texas game I've ever seen. I, I know there's never been a game that's gone four overtimes, but I don't. I can't even take away the overtimes. Well, I, it's hard to take away the overtimes, but the, just the 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 emotion, the roller coaster, the ups and downs. I don't know that I can recall a game ever having that type of just craziness in it. For, through throughout, you know, Oklahoma has the first quarter, Texas has the second quarter, Oklahoma has the third quarter, Texas has the fourth quarter, you know, just back and forth. Um, and then it's, it's pretty even in the overtimes until, um, until Sam Ellinger does what Sam Ellinger does. And that's throw the, the pick in, in the end zone. So um, we gotta, we gotta talk about defense, but I, I want to ask you, this is my final question. My final thing on the offense I don't see how you can say anyone other than T.J. Pledger for the offensive player of the game, but is there a chance you've got someone other than T.J. Pledger in mind?
1: There is not a chance that I have somebody else in mind. It is T.J. Pledger. It was T.J. Pledger, and it always will be T.J. Pledger as the offensive player of the game for me.
0: Okay. So let's, let's talk defensively for the Sooners Two two big things come to mind. And that number one is how Oklahoma was able to really outside of what Sam Ellinger did, uh, in the overtime with a, with a long run that really, sh- I mean, let's be honest, shouldn't have, uh, Shouldn't have counted because of the egregious holds that were missed, but Keontae Ingram, three carries, 15 yards. He had the fumble. Roshan Johnson, three carries for negative three yards. Uh, Robinson, five carries for 17 yards. Oklahoma really stuffed Texas uh, on the running game and said to Sam Ellinger, we know you're going to be a turnover prone. We know you're going to hold the ball too long. So you beat us, senior quarterback. And I, I love the game plan and you stuff the run, you record six sacks in the game and m- much of that should be attributed to the front seven. This, I I've said it, I said it against Kansas state. I said it against Iowa state, even in losses, but the front seven is very solid and, I think Texas took that for granted. I think Texas took for granted how bad the back end of this defense has played and just thought, you know what? We can handle the front seven. They thought last year with Big Nev up front that they were going to handle the front seven. And you know with Kenneth Murray in there, they, they thought, yeah, not a big deal. They were wrong last year, and they were absolutely wrong this year as Oklahoma on the defensive side of the ball up front just dominated uh, Texas offensive line and really made Sam Ellinger work extra for everything he got um he was 30 of 53 uh three uh 287 yards two touchdowns and two crucial interceptions by the way defense forces three turnovers in the game not bad not bad at all
1: Alex Grinch has gone on record numerous times saying that the floodgates are about to open in terms of turnovers for this defense I've mentioned offensively turning that corner. I think defensively that's beginning to happen as well, but it came a a lot for me came because of this experiment that they were conducting there in the secondary. We knew of the struggles against taller receivers. We knew that Texas was going to attempt to exploit that. Once again, Oklahoma attempting to combat that changed a few things up, Matt. And on Thursday, you and I talked pretty heavily about Joshua Eaton. He mm-hmm. didn't have the impact in the game that I think we I disagree. expected him I disagree. to have.
0: I disagree. I think he did. I mean, he. he I, I absolutely think he did just because of his height. he, Just because of his size and, and the ability to run with the receiver, he took away an option. So I, I disagree. He, didn't, so, have, he okay, didn't have the impact okay. like, like Woody Washington did with getting the interception. Right. But if you go back and you watch the plays that Josh Eaton was in, Sam Ellinger did not have that option. So I, I disagree. When you look at the stats, he's only going to have one tackle on the stat sheet. nothing like like an interception like Trey Brown got and Woody Washington got. Um, and so it's easy to say guys like Woody Washington, who's a little bit older than Josh Eaton um, and uh, you know some of these other guys that, that jumped in there, um, you know Criddle. but I, I man Joshua Eaton did what I said he should do. And if you remember Thursday night I said, He's tall. He can run with the receiver. And you could tell. Watch him. Go back and watch this game. Watch him line up and own the challenge. I mean, you could just tell by his posture before the ball is snapped. Before it's even snapped, you can tell he's ready for this. And I I strongly disagree. I think Josh Eaton, on the stat sheet, not a major factor. Right. Taking away options, big time.
1: Here's here's (laughs) I feel like you're contradicting yourself ever so slightly because you said the secondary was a liability that Texas didn't exploit at all. I was actually going to take the side of saying that Texas wanted to, which I, I believe is evidenced by the 53 throws from Sam Ellinger combined with what he was able to do on the ground when no options existed. He was their their lone successful ball carrier. He was the lone successful rusher. For this Texas team. And when I look at this secondary map, they may have been a liability in Ames, Iowa, but I didn't believe them to be a a liability here in Dallas, here in the Cotton Bowl and this Red River rivalry. And it credit to Grinch for mixing things up, for giving Texas different looks, for getting different players in there who had a different skill set, who have different physical traits that you simply can't teach anyone. You've mentioned Eaton. I didn't think he had as big of an impact as you did. I'm going to let that one ride because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue over that. I think Woody Washington, you've mentioned him as the guy who had the interception, him having a bigger impact on the game. And I don't think you would deny that yourself. But these are the names, these, these new names that we're hearing, we need to become more and more familiar with because whatever they're doing in the secondary, the players that they're putting in there, the only expectation from the coaching staff from our end has been that they put them in a position to succeed, and it didn't matter which name was out there. The, <laughs> the one thing you didn't hear was penalty flags being thrown on Brendan Rodney-Hiles consistently. Now, there were some, don't get me wrong.
0: It's good thing you said consistently. But it wasn't
1: It wasn't consistent like it was in Ames, Iowa. When I look at what the secondary is doing, I think there's a lot of potential there. And there's that, that term again. There's a lot of young talent. And we're actually seeing that the guys that Alex Grinch has recruited have the capability from small sample size to get Oklahoma over that hurdle. And it's weird to say this, but now the offense has to play a little bit of catch up because that front seven of Oklahoma was absolutely dominant. And the one thing that's been lacking from that front seven has really been a pass rush. I think we began to see that. You've mentioned the six sacks. I think we began to see inklings. We began to see a little glimmer of that with Isaiah Thomas. And now we've seen him, really buy into that role and become Oklahoma's best pass rusher that's available. I don't know how this season changes. I don't know how that pass rush changes with Ronnie Perkins available and Jalen Redmond on the other side, but Isaiah Thomas has has been really a godsend for lack of a better term for this defense and more specifically for the secondary.
0: Yeah. Listen, here, here's what I'm going to say. Um, and, and I love it when we disagree because I feel like we become more passionate and, and uh, I think it makes for a better podcast, but um, I, I think I'm not going to disagree with what you said about the pass rush. Okay. Because clearly it's, it's getting better. And when, once Ronnie Perkins finally gets in here, it's even going to be better than what it is, but you have to credit Oklahoma's secondary for some of those sacks, if not all of those sacks, because Ellinger well, It goes have- back
1: to the experiment.
0: Ellinger didn't have anywhere to go with the ball. And I, and I think you misunderstood what I said. What what I said was that Texas was going to rely on Oklahoma's secondary, the back end of that defense being so bad that they were going to neglect how good the front end was. And their, their game plan, I believe was to get a quick pass off against what had been a bad secondary and so I, yeah, I'm, I'm not disagreeing that this experiment of playing Jeremiah Credell, playing Woody Washington, uh, playing Joshua Eaton, I, I'm not disagreeing that that was a success. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that the impact on the game doesn't always show up in the stats. In fact, I would go as far as to say, you look at guys like Woody Washington, five tackles, what does that mean? That means they're coming your way, whether you're playing corner or safety, they're coming at you. Um, you, you look at uh, Pat Fields, 12 tackles. Uh, Brandon Radley-Hiles, I, I don't even know. He had four tackles. DT Yell had seven tackles. Now, Josh Eaton didn't play as much time as Pat Fields and DT Yell and, and Buki, but only one tackle means they were not able to come to his side at all. And, and when you look at how Ellinger had to try to go through progressions and then finally make bad throws that inter- resulted in the interceptions – Yes, the pass rush was there. The pass rush is only going to get better. But this, the back end, by far the best that they've played in the four games this season. And you got to think what was the difference? The difference was these younger guys. And what that does is it, it does two things for you immediately. Number one, it gives you depth, you can rotate guys in. Buki makes a bad play. Trey Norwood makes a bad play. Trey Brown makes a bad play. You can pull someone out. uh, You can pull them out put someone in while you talk to them for a little bit. Much like what we saw Lincoln Riley do with Spencer Rattler. Now Alex Grinch can do that with his guys in that defensive secondary. So it gives you increased depth. But the second thing it does is it provides motivation. If you're the number one on the depth chart and you know that there's really not a number two behind you, sometimes it's hard to be motivated. But we saw a different fire, in my opinion, with a guy like DTL, a different fire with with Brendan Radley Hiles. And why is that? Because suddenly there's a guy behind me that if I screw up, I, I come off the field. And so it, it makes it more competitive in that backfield. But uh, listen, don't don't think because a guy only recorded one tackle. He didn't have that big of an impact in the game. I I. I I was high on Joshua Eden. I thought when he said he was going to play, I thought I'd never expected him to start, but I thought he would contribute and he absolutely contributed and you got to feel good going and look here. Here's what it comes down to altogether offense and defensive performances. You got to feel good going into the bye week, do you not? I mean, you you were miserable for two weeks as an Oklahoma fan when you saw them lose winnable games to Kansas State. You saw them lose winnable games to Iowa State, and then the game that I at least me as a fan thought that they would lose, they they show that they can get back off the mat and not only deliver a couple more blows, but they can get up off the mat and use the defense to to, to deliver the knockout punch. I feel good going into the bye week now.
1: If I had to wrap up this game as it pertains to the Oklahoma Sooners, I I would simply say that the pieces of the puzzle are finally beginning to come together. We've hit so heavily, and the coaching staff has been very vocal about the number of turnovers, the expectations. We've looked offensively at the talent that exists and just how good this team is on paper. They're actually beginning to produce like we've expected more specifically from the offensive line than anything of this team over the past now four games. That offensive line was the, the one piece that was lacking. I don't know if you knew this, um, Matt, but I still don't. I mean, maybe you, you, I shouldn't say knew this, but didn't recognize this. I still don't know that they figured out that left side of the offensive line, but they do have a rotation where they're going to put guys in there and it seems to be working for now. I'm going to hold my, my judgment on that specific group on that specific unit, but I'm still going to say that the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. The turnovers are finally there. We knew that Alex Grinch had said it would take two turnovers per game in order to be successful, this year, we, we went ahead and one-upped that with three in this game. Oklahoma's still not winning the turnover margin, but getting turnovers is a good sign because for so many games now, what have I said? Oklahoma's been there but hasn't completed the turnover. Whether it's been dropped, just bounces right off your shoulder whatever that might have been, Oklahoma is beginning to turn that corner. And we're actually seeing them begin to, to have these quarterbacks rethink these throws because there could be grave consequences versus simply an incomplete pass where you have you to play another down.
0: Absolutely. Okay, um, there's one aspect of this game that we haven't discussed yet. We're going to have to get to that. And then a few couple of tidbits uh, on the Texas side of the field that we need to, we need to jump into as well. Okay, Rich, I said three turnovers. You said three turnovers, but here's the reality of the situation. Oklahoma forced five turnovers on Saturday when you consider the fumble, the two interceptions, the blocked punt, and the blocked field goal. Oklahoma finally had special teams work in their favor, and we talked about this in, in the pregame podcast. That really? Special teams, <laughs> Is that what you think? Yeah, special teams would, would become <laughs> a factor here and we, we saw, I mean, Oklahoma missed a field goal. Get I get that. But when, when you look at the block punt and the block field goal in the same game, that's, that's nuts. And then let's not forget about a a pretty big return by Marvin Mims. Again, you're talking about the lack of big plays, but Marvin Mims had a pretty good punt return as well in this game. So um, I look, I, you got to be happy as, as dismal as special teams have been against Kansas State and against Iowa State to see them come out and block a punt, block a field goal, have a big punt return. That I mean, I said against Kansas State it was six turnovers uh, because of special teams. We're going we got to keep true to that. So against Texas they got five turnovers because of special teams. Special teams
1: at times rode the struggle bus though, too, Matt. Now, there weren't any long punt returns. There weren't any long kick returns against this, the Oklahoma special teams, but you did have that missed field goal, which was very unexpected. In fact, um, when I was sitting here watching it with a small group of people watching the game, one of the things that was said by uh, someone on the couch next to me was, and, and this is in relation to the blocked punt, was why did the kicker hang onto the ball for so long?
0: Yeah, he kind of double-clutched it, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Oklahoma did get a little bit of help there. Needless to say, you can't take that off the stat sheet. It's always going to go down as a blocked punt. That was definitely a momentum builder for Oklahoma. Instead of flipping the field, you get some defensive success, and then you get the the special teams' success. Mm -hmm. There was a lot going right for special teams, and it's just very unfortunate that the last glimpse of special teams that we really get – because of the, the nature of college football overtime and going for two points after the uh, beginning with a third overtime, the unfortunate scenario that the special teams will have to live with is that Gabe Berkich was the, the final player to step on and do something wrong for special teams, which was miss that field goal.
0: Yeah, and i, it's gonna I think gonna be the
1: only knock against him for me, Matt.
0: Right. And I'm not I'm not worried about Gabe Burkage at this point. I think this I'm standard, not either the standard was so high after his after last season. Um, but still you, you do think, man, you that's a field goal that you I think he makes it nine out of ten times. It was just mm-hmm. that was that one time. Um so, but yeah, you you look at the gravity of the
1: situation as well. You look at the moment, the weight that is right riding on his shoulders. Texas takes that timeout, gets in his head, and we know the rest. We we know exactly what happens from there. But I mean that that's a huge moment to be in. That's that's a big time moment for a big time player. Yeah, Gabe Burkett so- just wasn't up to the challenge on that day.
0: But I think, again, I think it's a situation where the best-case scenario, you, you, you won the game, you move on, and you learn from that. And, and hopefully that's what Gabe does. Um, let's, let's cross the field and look at the burnt orange side. I, I tweeted this out from the uh, Heartland Sports Twitter account. Um, I taught, and it was third quarter, I think. And I said, regardless of how this game ends, watching the anguish of Tom Herman brings me joy. I feel like Tom Herman was a hundred percent a guy who thought he was coaching for the safest job on Saturday.
1: I would agree with that.
0: And I, I don't know. We talked. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, we had talked. Um, you had asked me during the true or false segment on Thursday, whether I believed Tom Herman was on the hot seat and following the production in terms of wins, to losses following that ratio. Texas has not, they, they've they never hit the level that they hit in 2009. I don't know that they they will with Tom Herman as their head coach, and that's just for various reasons. So I do have to believe when, and I said this on Thursday, when you fire all of the coordinators, mm-hmm. you expect some step forward, you expect progress. I don't think Texas was expecting Two losses this early in the season, especially in a, in a shortened season. So, to say that Tom Herman is coaching for his job, I believe to be 100% true.
0: Well, this was supposed to be the year for Texas. You know, Oklahoma, who has dominated the conference, was down in terms of leadership and senior upperclassmen. Um, and Texas had all that stuff that Oklahoma didn't have. And Sam Ellinger, the, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it, kind of the darling of, of the media when it comes to Big 12 quarterbacks was supposed to be the man. I mean, the, I, I, don't, I don't I don't know if it was Gus Johnson or Joe Klatt, but one of the two actually said during the game, their exact words were, you can literally feel Sam Ellinger willing his team to win. You can feel it in the stadium. <laughs> I mean, so are we telling you, you really, I mean, we didn't feel that about Spencer Rattler. You know, we didn't feel that about the Oklahoma, but we felt it about Sam Ellinger, who, by the way, uh, ironically, through the game-clinching interception. And I don't know if they felt that or not up in the booth. But the, the point is, um, I think the pressure was on uh, Tom Herman. I, I, think, I think he knows the writings on the wall. But he, but he does have a, a couple things that are still in his favor uh, in that he's got a massive buyout, like $10 million. Um, in the year of COVID, where revenue is going to be down, if you're the University of Texas, do you absorb that uh, in the in COVID crisis. The second thing he has going for him, because I saw a lot of this on Twitter, was comparing his record against Oklahoma, one and four, to that of Charlie Strong's, who um, had won less loss to the Sooners than what Herman has right now. But one thing that, t- I mean, I'm not in the neighborhood defending Tom Herman, but one thing that Tom Herman does have a notch in his belt is he took Texas and, and won the Sugar Bowl. And so that's something that, that, Charlie Strong never did, never got close to. Um, I, I would be okay with Tom Herman. I, I think he's such a disaster that I think he's okay. If he, I, if, if he stays, not going to break my heart at all because the man is literally a walking disaster. Charlie
1: Strong brought in a culture at Texas that was not favorable for that location, was not favorable.
0: That's false. For- that's false. Mac Brown ushered in that culture and Charlie Strong allowed it to of. What are you continue. talking about? I'm talking that, about the, the culture of entitlement. That, the that sense was of entitlement. Yes. Because that, of the name on the front
1: of your jersey. That
0: began with Mac Brown. That that's a if you want to if you want to put that responsibility on the shoulders of somebody, then put it on Mac Brown. Charlie well, Strong just allowed, allowed it to, to remain. And and to a large extent, Tom Herman has encouraged it. When you look, I at, agree, again, look at I agree. And that's where i was BJ, going with all that. All you got to do is look at BJ Foster. Okay. How many years in a row now has BJ Foster gotten hurt in an OU Texas game? How many years in a row now has BJ Foster um, got juked out of his shorts in an OU Texas game? And this is also a guy who quit. He quit and left the field in the season opener. And then he's on the field playing in the biggest game of the season. If that's not a sense of entitlement, Then I don't know what is, but that started under Mac Brown was um, was allowed to remain under Charlie Strong because Charlie Strong, if you remember Charlie Strong had his core disciplines and he said we're not going to do these things and somewhere somebody came to Charlie Strong and said hey you can't do that here, this is Texas, we're not going to have these disciplines, and we're not going to have these these sets of accountabilities, And so Charlie Strong tore up his core values, who he thought he was going to be and what he thought was going to represent this program and went a different direction instead of sticking to his guns and got him fired. And then Tom Herman is just coming and said, Hey, I've I've made it. I'm big time. I'm at Texas now. Let's just let this thing ride on cruise control. It's a, I think it's a cultural issue that began under Mac Brown. I totally stole your, your spotlight there with, with what you were saying, but (laughs) Don't don't put this on the shoulders of Charlie Strong. It goes back further than that.
1: Whoever created the culture, the biggest the biggest hurdle that lies in front of the Texas Longhorns is changing it. I don't know who the candidate is that will complete that feat. I don't know who's available even that can complete Irvin that feat. Meyer, and he's available. You, he's, you think he'd take that job?
0: Yeah, I think he pretty much was politicking for it on Saturday.
1: Oh, well, I missed out on that. Which is, which is crazy. It's
0: crazy because, you know, Urban Meyer and Tom Herman are buddies. And, and for a large extent, Tom Herman has a job because of Urban Meyer. And now Urban Meyer, it looks like he's just a vulture waiting on the carcass to stop twitching before he jumps in there to devour it. But I I don't have any faith Urban Meyer is going to fix the culture problem.
1: I don't either. And that's, again, that's been the biggest struggle that's been facing Texas. My opinion was since Knack Brown left, I'll remove that from this <laughs> equation. And I'm saying that the biggest struggle that, that exists is still the culture at Texas. And it is that sense of entitlement, just because you have the name across the front of your Jersey does not mean that, that you are guaranteed to win. It does not mean that people will cower in fear and simply back down from the challenge. When you present one, that's not how, how this works. There have been these, momentous shifts in 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 powers Mm -hmm. if you will as we've seen for a long time everybody said the exact same thing about the sec but what are we saying right now that clemson is undeniably the best team in the country and the second team doesn't even play in the sec and in fact they're not even playing football right right now there have been these momentous changes or shifts in the football landscape and those happen within the conference as well, it's when that does begin to shift, how will you respond? And Texas has never recovered from that, from Mac Brown stepping down. If he created the culture, so be it. But Texas has never quite been the same since that 2009 season. And again, I just don't know when they're going to get back there. I don't know who it is that's going to bring them back to that level of success. I don't know who's going to have them competing for Big 12 championships again. We may, we may never see that. And I would be okay with that. I know you would. As <laughs> would a lot of Sooner Nation.
0: Hey, you had, uh, on our podcast topics, you had put Sam Allinger's legacy as a tarnished on, the, uh, on one of the things as a talking point. And can I just say, I don't care? You can't. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's not a very good chat
1: if you don't care.
0: I mean, he, he's got a losing record uh, against the University of Oklahoma. I, I would I'd be curious to go back and look. You know, they're not, not a lot of quarterbacks leave the University of Texas with winning records against Oklahoma.
1: I'm looking outside of just what's happened here in the Red River rivalry for Sam Ellinger. I'm looking at that moment when. He lofts a trophy up into the air and says, we're back. All of a sudden, you look at that moment as potentially a defining moment, not just for Sam Ellinger, but for this Texas football program. Mm -hmm. And over the past two seasons, they haven't lived up, well, I guess one and a half now. They haven't lived up to that statement. It really has put this target, I think, on a guy like Sam Ellinger especially for opposing teams who are saying, look, you can make the statement, but now you've got to earn that on the field. Sam Ellinger and this crew for the tenacity that he has for the leader that he has for this 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 Texas team, for the records that he'll hold in the school record book, I still believe because of that one statement that we're back, Sam Ellinger set himself up for disaster when he didn't prove it, oh, and so yeah, far he, he hasn't backed up that statement. And so I look at this game; Texas is now two and two on the season. Oklahoma is not in a better position. Don't get me wrong, but being two on two, being two and two in the season, and one and two in conference play, that that statement no longer holds true. So I'm looking at it and saying your 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 legacy's really been tarnished because you were the quarterback that was supposed to bring. Texas back to national relevancy and you failed to do so. This is just yeah. another nail in the coffin. This is well, a one in four record against Oklahoma. Well,
0: And here's what you got to also keep in mind on this topic is that um, um, you're talking about a program that hasn't been relevant on a national outside of just their, their name brand. They've not been relevant in the ins and outs of college football in, in over a decade. And so when Sam Ellinger hoists up that Sugar Bowl trophy and says we're back, he immediately became the, the punchline on thousands of jokes across social media. They haven't won a conference championship. They haven't competed to get into the playoffs. you know. And that's the pinnacle of his career is winning the Sugar Bowl, which is okay. That was the pinnacle of Trevor Knight's career, winning the Sugar Bowl. But the, the people are going to laugh at Texas and they're going to laugh at Sam Ellinger. And, and you're leaving out a, a key factor here as well, is his tweet when about the whole horns down thing. You Remember, he tweeted out, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep count. I'm going to take names for every person who, does, who disrespects my university by putting the horns down. I'll, I'll be remembering you, you know, bet on that. Okay, who are you again? Tell me what you've done. Where, what did you accomplish? So, yeah, not a lot of quarterbacks get to win the Sugar Bowl. So good for you, Sam Ellinger. You won the Sugar Bowl. But again, you represent a program that hasn't been relevant. Hasn't been relevant, Rich, in over a decade.
1: I'll tell you what is relevant, Matt. The question pertaining to Sam Ellinger's legacy, because you and I sat here not even a week ago and said the loser of this game basically eliminates themselves from mm-hmm. Big 12 championship contention. Sam Ellinger and that loss, that interception that he throws in overtime does just that. And Texas under under his leadership as with him as the signal caller will not have won a single Big 12 title.
0: Sam Ellinger's legacy is he's an average quarterback on an average team. That that's what it is. And now that's that's not let's not lose sight of the fact that we may not have seen the last of Sam Ellinger.
1: This is true.
0: I mean, everybody gets a do over in 2021. Forget. So but this is true. But as of as of 2020, Sam Ellinger's legacy is he is an average quarterback on an average team. Um, there are two other big 12 games. I just want to Iowa State just kind of thumps Texas Tech we 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 saw that coming in the absence of Alan Bowman, 31 to 15. But the big win to me on Saturday was. Kansas State without Skylar Thompson beating TCU, if you remember back on Thursday night, again, I, I guess it's the podcast where I chose to be wrong across the board because I said I didn't think Kansas State had a chance without Skylar Thompson. Not only did they go to Fort Worth and stay competitive, but they go to Fort Worth and come out with a 21 to 14 win playing their backup quarterback. Okay, then. <laughs> Spot on analysis <laughs> Sorry, there, Rich. You, you
1: love that. You love that, I know. <laughs> Sorry, video cues don't work in any in a audio format, do they?
0: <laughs> All right, Oklahoma off this coming weekend, getting ready to go down to Fort Worth. Um, the following weekend, we'll be back to uh, get you ready for that game. Uh, some big recruiting news may be coming on the front this week with Oklahoma football. Uh, Oklahoma State gets canceled against Baylor. We'll we'll come back later on and talk about that as well. You can catch us uh, on the internet every day, heartland-sports.com. You can subscribe to the Sooner Nation podcast anywhere you find podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, all the other places. We're pretty much there. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic week and, and boomer sooner.